You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon is titled, Living to Please God in Tough Times, shared by special guest, Dr. Robert Brown. Well, thank you, church family, for allowing me to come and to share with you this morning. Uh, it's just a joy, and not only uh, to be able to preach, but also to see my grandchildren and my daughter, and oh yeah, Keith. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, it's always good to be in, uh, with the folks at First Baptist Sevierville. We, we do visit here from time to time. Uh, I, uh, uh, in addition to working with the uh, school system, uh, have uh, been doing interims, and so we're usually preaching in another, in another church. And in fact, I would like for you to just say a, a, a prayer, if you can think of it, uh, around 10.30, because uh, the church where we've been at for over a year now, at Chihuahua Hills in Knoxville, they have a man coming and preaching in view of a call this morning. So uh, pray for them, pray that all works well. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, we, uh, we're glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, I've, I've had a connection with, uh, from afar with First Baptist Church for a long time. I grew up in Knoxville, but also worked at Camp Bioka in, in Wares Valley, and so we would come in from time to time and attend services here. I've uh, been uh, known Joe Wren uh, for many years. He also uh, pastored at a church I pastored at a while back at Broadway in Maryville, as Keith referred to, and then also been really good friends with Randy and Jeannie Davis and uh, just appreciated them. And of course, I really have been just so thrilled with Dan, uh, Brother Dan, and his ministry since he's come to, to First Baptist. We're just excited to see how God has just blessed in and, and these three services now and, and continues to be a lighthouse in this area uh, and for this community. So grateful to be here, honored to be able to, to uh, share with you uh, from uh, God's Word. Uh, it's also, I, I didn't know it until I got here, that it's going to be, uh, uh, we're going to honor the, the graduates at the end of the service. It's a big day uh, for them, a big time for moms and dads and grandparents all around. Uh, it's, it's certainly a time when... Um, uh, when we sign of pause and reflect, sort of an ending and a beginning, uh, a launching out. In fact, I, I've preached a lot of baccalaureates and preached a lot of graduate recognition uh, uh, services, those types of things. And, and usually I, I, I typically share with, with graduates, I'm not going to be pre-preaching you, to you today, but kind of am, but not really. Uh, you know, you, you, three things you can do with your life. You can spend your life, just do whatever you want to with it, spend it on things. Uh, you can waste your life. That's kind of a bummer. Uh, or you can invest your life uh, and invest it in something that's going to count for eternity. And, and in a sense, that's kind of what we're talking about here today is how can, we, how can we invest our lives in such a way, in such a manner that really are going to count uh, not just for now, but count for eternity. What we're going to be speaking on this morning is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you have your uh, Bible or your device that you're following along with us, uh, we're going to be looking at how we can please God, living to please God in tough times. Now these are tough times. I think by just about anyone's uh, uh, definition of what's tough, we would somewhat agree that these are, are difficult. They're changing times at the very least. Um, change is hard. Uh, let's be honest. Uh, we, we, uh, as I've grown older, it becomes harder. Uh, but change, change is difficult. How can I live to please God in these tough times? Now, the Apostle Paul, in, in writing this letter, and we're sort of jumping into the middle of it, 
But he was writing this letter to these Christians that lived in Thessalonica, or Thessaloniki if you uh, prefer. Uh, they, they, it was a, a very important city in the first century. Very, very, what we would say, a cosmopolitan city, a very eclectic city, a very worldly city by any definition. Uh, it was important because it was, it was on a, uh, a, a route, on a road that led from Rome to their eastern provinces. So you had a lot of people coming in and out, coming uh, to and fro. Not all that different than what you have here in Sevier County. I mean, think of all the thousands of people that come in and out of Sevier County on a daily basis from other parts of the United States, other parts of the world for that matter. Thessalonica was very much like that, uh, a city that was uh, important in the Roman Empire, but a city that was also known for um, its, uh, well, its pagan worship, its, its frankly, its sexual immorality, uh, a city that was known for uh, being very sensual in a lot of the things that were going on, uh, a very materialistic type of expression. Now, again, this is not me forcing the text or forcing the, the history upon this time together, but if, if that sounds familiar, it kind of is. Because that's the world that, that we're living in, in case you, you haven't uh, read any news feeds or, or looked around uh, these days. Uh, it's a tough time. It's a tough time for the church. Things are changing. We, we would define it as, as, as tough times. But let me say this. God has placed you here for such a time as this. God has put you in this place. The sovereign God of the universe, the creator of all things, has placed you here now. So it's tough times. But frankly, it's probably not as tough as those first century Christians were facing there uh, in Thessalonica. In what the text we're going to look at today, Paul is going to tell them and give them uh, instructions. We're going to look at it this way. He's going to give them, first of all, an overall goal of how they should live their lives to really invest it to make it count for something. And then he's going to tell them there's three things that you can do with your life. And they're not exhaustive. I mean, it doesn't cover all the gamut. But there are three very important things that those Thessalonians should do in their lives to make their life count by pleasing God and to make a difference in how they could really impact their community and their world. Now, just a bit of background again, uh, the, uh, the letter is coming to the church at Thessalonica because they thought he, Paul had kind of forgotten about them. He, he was, said he was coming, he hadn't shown up yet, and they're kind of ticked off about it, and word gets back to Paul, and, and he's in Athens right at the time, which is also a very crucial and, and part of his ministry, and, and, and he wants to come to them, but he just can't pull himself away at this point, so he sends his right-hand man, Timothy, to Thessalonica to... to check on them to report and then come back and report to Paul and when the report comes back to Paul Paul finds out he's concerned for them but he finds out that even though they're going through exceedingly difficult times times that are, that are that are really a lot of pressure we'll talk about that in a moment times that are going to be different they were doing well and they were pleasing God you know, that, that, that idea of pleasing God just kind of blows my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. 
How can I, the creation, please the creator? How can I on my very, very best day be, be even enough to notice God, much less bring, bring pleasure to him? C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite writers. says it this way in his book, the, the, See It by the Weight of Glory. He says, to please God... To be a real ingredient in the divine happiness. I, I love that phrase. To be a real ingredient in the divine happiness for God. To be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or as a father in his daughter or son. It seems impossible. A weight or a burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. Brothers and sisters, you can bring pleasure to God. Paul said to the Corinthians, this, he said that ought to be our aim, is to please God. The writer of Hebrews says that, that uh, uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So here is Paul writing to these Thessalonians and telling them how they can please God. Now, what he's just done, he just said, I've been praying for you. I'm, I'm going to continue to pray for you. I'm going to continue to pray for, for, uh, that your hearts would be blameless as you await the coming of the Lord. In other words, we're sort of in this in-between time. We still are. The Lord has ascended. He's promised he's coming back. We're in this in-between time. Jesus told us these in-between times are going to be tough. In fact, the Scriptures tell us we should not be surprised when we encounter various tribulations, various trials. It's tough times. Now, frankly, they're not as tough as the Thessalonians were going through. But nevertheless, we're going through some very, very odd and unusual times. How can we please God during those times? Let's look at verse... He's going to give his first, as I told you, that overall goal. Look at verse 1. He says, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. There's, uh, you may have another version, but it, you'll, you'll get the idea. Additionally then, brothers and sisters, in other words, he's talking to the church, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how we should live, and then there's that, that phrase, how we should live and please God as you're doing, do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through Jesus Christ. Now I want you to just notice a couple of phrases there. He says we ask and encourage. He, he doubles up the verb, right? So he's really wanting them to understand. He says I'm asking you and I'm also encouraging you to this. It, it, it shows to me that he's saying what I'm saying is going to make a difference in your life. What I'm saying is, is we're really concerned about this. This is not just a passing fancy. In fact, I'm begging you. I'm beseeching you. And, and by the fact that he's asking them and encouraging them, that means they have a personal responsibility to what he's about to say. This, this is not something they can just be passive about. There's a choice that has to be made. I'm asking you. I'm encouraging you to live to live the manner in which you live day by day to please God. That should be the primary motivation of everything. Every morning when I get up out of bed, I, my primary motivation would be to please God. 
Every morning, every day, I should be living in the, that should be the central motivation, the organizing principle, the basic goal of my life is to please God. Now, apart from faith, can I do that? No. Apart from knowing Christ, can I do that? No. And he's assuming here, it's important to note this, that the Thessalonians are in fact followers of Christ. He's assuming that the church is wanting to please God, that that's what they're doing, because he says, just as you are doing, do this even more. Now, that's also a warning, because it tells me that just as you're doing this, there's more to come. There's, there's, more, there's more growth to come. We can make an impact more than what we're doing. We, we can experience relationship with God more than what we're doing. We can live a life that's pleasing to God more than what we're doing. That's really important because, frankly, all of us, we, we've seen our lives go like this at times. We become complacent with our relationship with God. Oh, it's just sort of a, 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 you know, just sort of a phase that I'm going through. I had a guy tell me when I was about 19 years old, uh, I was working in a sporting goods store while I was going to UT, and a guy said, I was telling him about my, my walk with Christ, and he was not a believer. He said, oh, it's just a fad. It's just a phase you're going through. Well, that was... 25 years later, no, no, it's longer than that. How old am I? It's a lot more older than 45, I can tell you that. Um, That's a long time ago. And I've still not got over it. Because even though there's there's a sense of of, of waxing and waning along the way, the truth is, is that we are called to serve Christ, to grow in Christ. And in fact, Christian maturity is not something that we can say, chunk, chunk, check that one, I'm good. This side of glory, this side of heaven, we're always going to be in this process of growing, process of trying to please God. And so what Paul does is he brings to the Thessalonians how, in fact, they can do that. Now, it's not an exhaustive list. We, we, in America, we tend to to like lists so we can check them off. Okay, I've done that, so I must be pleasing to God. It's not an exhaustive list. But he does address three areas of of, of our lives, of their lives, that are very, very pertinent and relevant today. How can we please God? How can we live in this day, in these tough times, to please God? Look at verse 3. He says, for this is God's will. Anytime I see that phrase, for this is God's will, this is the will of God, I'm going to pay attention. You should too. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification now, what in the world does that mean? You, you probably, if you've been around church long enough, you know that in, in, in generally it means that your growth, your, your being set apart, we'll talk about that in a moment, to God. This is God's will for you, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. In other words, why... Why are you acting as if you're acting the same or embracing the same, in this case, sexual ethos and, 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 uh, and mores as the world? Why are we acting that way? Don't, don't do that, he's saying. This means that one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of all of these offenses, as we previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. There there is a a major uh, difference. There's a major contrast. God has not called us to this old life, to this life, as he refers to, of the Gentiles, of this worldly life, but rather to holiness. Consequently, 
Anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. What's he saying here? Well, he's simply saying this. We please God by living a life that is set apart. That is set apart. Set apart to what? Set apart to God. That's what sanctification really means. The idea of sanctification just simply means that I've been set apart from this old life to bring honor and glory to God. Now there's an understanding of that, what that sanctification, uh, an aspect of that. Part of it is positional, we would say. In other words, the moment that you repented of your sin and put your faith in Christ, you were sanctified. You were set apart. You were taken from where you were and you were set apart by God and put him and put you in his family. He adopted you. He brought you into his family. You were set apart from your old life. That part is never going to change. You're never going to be more of a Christian than you are right now, if you're a Christian right now. You can't be a more of a Christian. You either are or you're not. That's one of those really dividing lines. But then there's another aspect. That's positional. But then there's a process of sanctification that God begins at that point of regeneration, at that point of new life. That process by which we are being changed and fashioned into the image of God. I would dare say, I would really hope, that by the time that you are finished now with high school or with college, whatever the case may be, or university or some higher degree, that you know now more than you did when you started. If you're still working on a first grade level, we need to talk. Uh, uh, But I would hope that you would know more than when you got started. With, with the Christian life, there is that positional, I've been sanctified, set apart by God, belonging to Him. But then there is this process that God begins, and He ultimately does this. But we are, certainly have responsibility to walk in, as some translations translate it, or to live in this sanctification that God is, 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 uh, is doing in our lives. Now, in this case, particularly, the uh, Thessalonians were struggling with a lot of immorality. And in this case, then that, that, that ex- says exactly where the kind of culture and world that we live in, right? Uh, I mean, things are changing so rapidly, so quickly, things that I didn't even know existed when I was graduating from high school just about are, are now in your face constantly. I understand that. Those are tough times to deal with. Uh, this, this sense of, of immorality, this sense of growing acceptance. And, and the challenges for the believer is... is, is to, to deal with this, to confront this in, in truth, to confront this as, as we cannot be uh, determined, uh, tr- we cannot determine truth by just the winds of culture. The winds of culture are blowing against us in much of, of, this, uh, uh, much of this area. We cannot say, well, okay, that, that's, that's just how, what everybody's saying, so I, I must not uh, go against the stream. We must be set apart. We must be different. Now the problem is, is that we like to pick out certain things that we don't like, but then other things we give them a pass. <laughs> we, you know, we, we don't, we don't want to, well, yeah, that's right, we need to stand firm. But then on other things, well, you know, we're all, we're all sinners saved by grace. You know, we, so there's this, this issue that Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, that the Scriptures are saying to us, is that we need to stand strong. In fact, he's he's telling us basically we need to flee, we need to have self-control, we need to stand against. Roman culture was marked by sexual immorality. It was known for that. Ours is too. 
Our, our, our culture increasingly is known that the, the, the whole idea of what's right and what's wrong is changing drastically. What God is saying is, I want a people who are set apart, who people look at and say, they're different. They're different. Sadly, sadly, oftentimes the world looks at the churches and doesn't see much of a difference. This is some, but not much. The Apostle Peter says it in his letter this way. He says, you are a peculiar people. <laughs> I'm kind of peculiar in a lot of ways, but not that way. Uh, he says, you are a peculiar people, a chosen race, people who have been set apart by God. What the world is, is looking at, is looking for, are people who are peculiar. <laughs> people who are different, let's say it that way. That's better to understand. What the world is looking at and looking for is saying there's something about them. This is what the Thessalonians were experiencing. The people that lived in Thessalonica were saying, you know, there's something about those Christians. I can tell you this, church, because he's speaking to us individually as well as the church. We will never be able to outshout the world. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm talking about? We will never be able to shake our fist strong enough as the world. We will never be able to out-argue the world. We cannot be set apart to do this war, this, this spiritual warfare in which we are engaged with the weapons of this world. We must be set apart. The thing that set that first century church apart is that people noticed that they were different. Notice that, that they had been changed. Notice that they were living lives much differently than the world around them. So they were set apart by God and set apart from this culture that they were in. Paul says, you please God when you're getting your marching orders from Him and not the changing winds of culture. You're pleasing to God when you're going to God's Word and saying, Lord, what do you say about this? What, is, what, is, what are you teaching me about this? You please God when you've been set apart. Well, secondly, he goes on. He says, you can please God also by loving others. Look down uh, at verse 9. He says, about brotherly love. You don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. He said, this, this should be pretty clear to all of us. That we're to love one another. Goes on, in fact. You're doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. To seek. We'll stop right there. What he wants you to do is to please him by loving others. Now that seems so simple, right? So much more difficult. To please him by loving others. Others. Jesus said it very clearly. It's hard to misunderstand. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I loved you. Guess what? Jesus loved me when I was absolutely unlovable. Jesus loved me when I was, when I was bound up in my sin. Jesus loved me when there was nothing at all attractive to be able to want to love me. And yet he says that we're to love one another just as I have loved you. I know that's hard. I know that's very difficult. 
Uh, some of you uh, folks that are uh, in my generation, some of you younger folks may, may know this too, uh, uh, a man by the name of J. Vernon McGee, he used to be on the radio, he still is, he's, he's long since with the Lord, uh, but he, he, I remember he had this, this little uh, quip that he would say from time to time when he'd be talking about this issue of loving others, uh, and, and I looked it up because I couldn't remember it exactly, but he says, to dwell above with saints in love, oh, that will be glory. To stay below with saints I know, well, that's another story. <laughs> it's hard to love others at times, especially when they, when they disagree with us, especially when they're different with us, especially when they have uh, different ideas, things that we don't like, especially when they treat us poorly. It's hard. It's hard to love others. But yet that's what sets Christians apart. It's what set them apart. He says, I don't have to instruct you in this. You're already doing this even throughout all of Macedonia. Even throughout people that aren't even a part of your group. Even through people, other believers, other brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I've had the privilege of being all over the world, literally on every continent but Antarctica. I don't know anything about penguins. Every, every, every place but Antarctica. And one of the things that's always amazing, I can go into to Pakistan or India or Papua New Guinea or, or wherever it is we're going, and, and immediately find a brother or sister in Christ that I have nothing in common with. My life experiences are totally different than them. But you know what I do have in common with? The love of Christ. The love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That's how we're going to love one another. We're going to love as Jesus loved. Paul's saying, in this tough time, yeah, it's tough. We should expect that. The Scriptures tell us we should expect that. The Scriptures tell us time and again that, that we're going to encounter trials and tribulations. We're going to have tough times. And he says, during those tough times, live as being set apart. You're different. You're different. If you want to be, if you want to be the same, have at it. But, but you're different. You must be. Or what's the attraction? And also to love one another. A third aspect, he says, is to please God by living honorably. Look at verse 11. He says, seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So that, that's a big, big phrase right there. You should always circle or underline that. So that, what's going to happen when I do that? So that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders, in the presence of those that are not of, of, the, of the Lord, and not be dependent on anyone. What in the world is he saying here? Well, I think basically he's saying that we need to live as a good witness. We need to live so that our lives, that, that people from on the outside, people outside of Christ, people who have not known the love of God are saying, what in the world is going on with those folks? Tough times, you know, they're, they're not running around with their head cut off. I, I'm such a... Uh, uh, it, it drives me crazy, this chicken little uh, theology that people have. Oh, times are hard. You know, I'm running around. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. We're simply to be set apart to love one another and to live in a way that's honorable. To live in a way that others are going to say, yes, I see something in them. I want something in them. Now, he gives examples there. He says, uh, we should live a quiet life. 
That kind of goes against everything in our culture, right? I mean, we, we, we live in a world where people want to yell louder. They want to say, hey, look at me. I mean, we, you know, we're, we're, we're constantly uh, uh, posting things that make us look good and, and, and all that. I, am, I'm, I struggle with it myself, you know. It's, it's hard to find something that makes me look good. Uh, but we're always working at that. We're, we're, we're trying to be, trying to loud, get our message out as if really anybody that lives in, in, you know, Morocco somewhere really cares about what you think about any given subject. But that's the world we're living in. He's saying live a quiet life. What does that mean? Live a, a life of peace. Live a life that's calm. Live a life with, that's, that's rest and finding satisfaction in God. It's a huge contradiction to what much of us aspire to today. We typically ask, and, and, and I, I'm, again, I'm with you on that. We typically ask, is it fun? <laughs> or do I like it? Rather than asking, is it, is it good? Is it honorable? Is it edifying? Is it godly? Is it truth? So live a quiet life. Mind your own business, he says. I'm going to tell you, I remember the first time I read that passage read that phrase, I was shocked. I thought that came from my mom. Mind your own business, you know? But it's actually in the scriptures. Mind your own business. Now, he doesn't mean don't care about anybody else. He doesn't mean that at all. We ought to care for one another. We're certainly our brother's keepers. We're, we ought to care for one another. But what it says is it says mind your own business. Uh, it's a biblical idea, uh, and it basically means that we have the duty to put the interest of others first. We have, to, we have the, 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 but not at the expense to be sort of this busybody pointing out everything that, that they have wrong with them. Mind your own business. What Jesus kind of meant, I think, when he said, don't, don't, don't worry about that speck in the brother's eye until you get that beam out of your own. Mind your own business. Lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your own hands. That's another one that I, 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 I remember reading that for the first time. You know, I'd always heard that little phrase. Uh, have you ever heard the phrase, idle hands are a devil's what? Workshop. That's right. Uh, and, and I always never really knew what that meant, but that's what he's talking here. Just, just do, do, do good, honorable work. By the way, if, if idle hands are a devil's workshop, idle minds are a devil's playground. I'm telling you that. So watch what you're putting in. But he's saying work with your hands. There's dignity. In, in those days... In, in Greek and Roman culture, manual labor was sort of looked down upon. You know, anybody that worked with their hands, they, they, they were not as good as those that, that didn't. Uh, isn't it interesting, though, that Jesus was a carpenter? Isn't it interesting that God called as his first apostles fishermen? Isn't it interesting that the one who's writing this letter right now, Paul, was a tent maker? There's something good and honorable about that. And why? Why does all of that make a difference? Why does it make a difference that I'm called to lead a quiet life? Why does it make a difference that I should mind my own business? Why does it make a difference that I should be working with my own hands? So that we should live a life that's an example. So that when people look at you and look at you as a believer, you will, they can say, something's different. It's a witness situation. When we come to love others, when we come to love one another, if we're angry with another and fighting with one another, then, then we're doing nothing more than what the world does. If we're no different, if our lives are no different than what God has set us apart for, then we're no, what, what's, what, why bother? If we're not working honorably and living an honorable life, if we're being indifferent to things, what kind of impact can that have? And ultimately, that's what he's saying. 
is that we please God when we live our lives in such a manner that we are impacting our culture for Christ, not with our ability to out-argue or out-shake our fist at someone in the name of Jesus, not, not anything like that, but rather to live our lives in such a way that people are saying something's different about that person. I can tell you you can make a difference in just small things. You may not think so, but it does. Because we're living in a world in a time when people are thirsty. They're thirsting for something. Something to get them to the finish line. You, you may not believe this, but about 25 years ago, I came up with the really crazy idea that I wanted to run a marathon, you know. I mean, that's a dumb idea if you're thinking about it. Uh, but I did. And so I went and trained, and I got this guy to work with me, and I trained. I was all ready to go, and I went to Atlanta, and Lenny, and the kids were little back then. They're all just, you know, sitting back there in the van. Everybody's excited about Dad going to run this marathon. And I'm running along, and if you run a lot, you, you know kind of what's getting ready to happen because I was running along, and about mile 17, someone, I'm convinced of it to this day, with a bow and arrow or something, shot me in the back of my legs. And I couldn't hardly walk, much less run. I was so dejected. I had to quit, didn't finish. Came back home. But hey, how'd the marathon go? Well, I didn't finish. I was so dejected. I mean, I, I really was depressed. I put a lot of time in this, didn't make it, didn't finish. I was out of gas, nothing left. So I called a friend of mine who knew a little bit more about these things. He said, listen, you messed up. You, you went out too fast. You expended all your energy. You, you, you're, you're all fired up, but you really weren't smart. He said, just go finish. Go run another one and just finish it. Don't worry about your time. Don't worry about anything like that. Just finish the race. And so I did. A few weeks later, went down to Huntsville, Alabama. I'm running this race. It's pouring the rain. Lenin, I don't think you were even there then. Uh, Lenny's, uh, I'm, I'm just running along, and, and uh, the rain's coming down. And I, I come up to this crossroads there, and, and the cops got the, the, uh, uh, the traffic stopped. I know you all hate that when they do things like that around here. Uh, but, but you have to do it. They don't, you don't want to hit somebody. Uh, so they got the traffic stopped. But you know what had happened? Somebody followed me to that race and shot me in the back of the legs again. And I'm dying. And I'm saying, this can't be happening to me. We're passing this little intersection, and I'll never forget it. It's just as clear as I'm looking at you right now. This woman's sitting in her car behind the wheel. There's a baby in the baby seat, had their bottle up, doing their thing. And I'm running by, and she looks at me, and she says, Way to go! Man, I just, I started crying. I mean, I got this rush of adrenaline. <laughs> I finished the race. Paul, in a lot of ways, was writing to the Thessalonians. I know you're doing this, but you've got to hang in there. What you're doing, you're set apart, you're loving one another, you're loving others, you're living lives that are different. That, that those, but you've got to hang in there. Now, you say, but are you talking about their salvation? No, not at all. We, we want, when we commit our lives to Christ, then, then we're saved. We're secure in him, not in me. But frankly, friends, I want to please God 
with all I do, with all that I am. I've failed miserably. I've started to hurt many times. I've quit several times. But what God's Word is saying to you today is way to go, First Baptist Severable. Way to go, brothers and sisters in Christ. But you've got to keep going. You've got to willfully make the choice. I want to live a life that's different, that's set aside. I want to love my brothers and sisters. We have no right. You should pray for the spiritual gift of forgetfulness. <laughs> we have no right to harbor anger against a brother who's wronged us. I know it's hard, but we're to love one another. And we're ultimately to live lives that are bringing honor to God and that others are noticing. Now let me say this before we close. You can't do that on your own. You can try. You can try really hard, but that's a frustrating cycle to get into. Before you can do that, you need to give your life to Christ. The Holy Spirit of God will come and reside in your life, and the Holy Spirit of God will begin to work, do that work that only He can do. That's when we can, in fact, be set apart by God and set ourselves apart. That's when we can love one another. That's when we can, in fact, live lives that are honorable to God and that draw a witness to others that don't know Him. People are waiting for folks just like yourselves to do that today. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that in Your way and in Your Word that You would speak to lives that are here today. It may be graduates who are launching out into an unknown it may be folks who have, uh, have been in a routine for many, many years. But, oh God, I pray that in all things that you would speak to us clearly about how we should serve you and live a life that's pleasing to you. Lord, I, I'm amazed that we can even do that, that we're even talking about that. But, oh, Father, just as, as, as you've called us to serve, you've also called us to love you and to serve by loving others and by serve by being your hands and your feet with others, to be different from this world in which we live in. Father, help us not to, to, to bemoan the fact of how hard things are, but help us rejoice in the fact of how you have saved us and giving us your word and given us your spirit. So Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that's never trusted you as Savior and Lord, that this would be a day of salvation. I pray for many who are Christians here today who all of us are facing. None of us know what's going to happen tomorrow, Lord. So I, I pray that all of us who are here today might yield ourselves to you and might commit this day, this hour, to be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.